So, right from the get-go, I want to start by putting forth a spectrum. Okay, uh, not trying to create a dichotomy in any way, shape, or form, but a spectrum. Over the last 12 years of being a pastor, uh, I've seen people in varying degrees along this particular spectrum that I'm creating. So, the spectrum is this. In your relationship with God, do you find yourself today stagnant? Or, at the other end of the spectrum, in your relationship with God, do you find yourself growing? I want you to let that question sink in for a moment. The spectrum is this. Spiritual stagnancy and maturity. You're living in the process of maturity. Maybe another way to explain it is this, that, that in, on the one hand of the spectrum, in uh, stagnancy, you're kind of blah. There's no real vibrancy. There's no real uh, intentionality. There's no excitement. There's no enthusiasm. There's, there's really the same old spiritual state you've been in for quite some time. Maybe you're okay with that. But on the under, other end of the spectrum, maybe you're living with the opposite. A, a, an eagerness, an earnestness, an excitement, a joy, a, a, a life. It's alive. It's very much alive. Uh, maybe uh, another way to describe the spectrum would be is that those in stagnancy are kind of dipping their feet into the pool slightly in terms of their spirituality. But then... Uh, on the other end, you get this all-known uh, phrase today. Uh, the, the people in maturity are, are, are pursuing God and growing and are living. They're all in. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you find yourself in on that spectrum here today? Where would you find yourself? I want to be very clear, and I think it's important to always emphasize, that in this congregation, the elders of this church have a priority that each and every one of you, no matter where you are currently on that spectrum, our priority, we are all in, that you experience growth and maturation in your walk with God. That's why we're here. You know, some of you may just be here to check something off a list today. But let me be very clear. We are here to honor God and to worship His name we're also here to proclaim and teach the Word of God because we are committed to shepherding the people of God toward maturity. That's what it's all about. Your growth in Christ is a priority for us that we constantly put before us. I hope that's an encouragement for you. That's what we pray about. That's what we argue about. That's what we strategize about. That's what we cry about. That you would be vibrant and growing and maturing and conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what Renovation Church is all about. And so today, the author of Hebrews reveals his desire in Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 6, 12, that he wants his readers to grow. He wants them to have a deeper understanding 
of the gospel. But he also, as we see today, points out that there's a major obstacle in the way. And I wonder if some of the spiritual stagnancy that you're experiencing today is a result of maybe this same issue. This obstacle that stands in the way of your growth. He also talks today about what if this obstacle is consistently ignored over time? What kind of eternal danger that might put us in? And then in the end, and this is our hope today, in the heaviness and the weight of this passage, our hope today is that all of us who genuinely know Jesus and follow Him and worship Him would be resting assured of their eternal blessing and salvation in Jesus Christ. So let's turn there today. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We continue our series in Hebrews. It's not getting any lighter, by the way, in terms of its topic and emphasis. Today we look at one of the most controversial passages, hotly debated passages in all of the Bible. Who's excited? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of faith and, I'm sorry, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for, to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name 
in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the Word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Everyone go, Whoa. We could have just said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Have a nice Sunday. But instead we said that. We see right from the beginning that the author of Hebrews is has much to say about the priesthood of Jesus, right? About this refers back to the priesthood of Jesus that is better and unique as it is after the order of Melchizedek. We don't need to go into long details about what that means. You know why? Because we're going to look at that for like three chapters soon. Right? He's not going into it, so we're not going to go into it. Right? He's saying this, I've got a lot more to say about that. But we have a massive obstacle in the way of you appropriating the blessings of Jesus' priesthood in your life. We have an issue. We have a major obstacle for you to dig deeper into the priesthood of Jesus. He says this, look at verse 11, about this we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The word there actually is to be sluggish. Everybody knows the image of the slug, especially you gardeners. It's to be sluggish. And interestingly enough, we see this word again at the end of the passage, so that you may not be sluggish. The beginning and the end talks about a spiritual state of sluggishness. That is the thing that is standing in the way of these people appropriating the blessings of the priesthood of Jesus in their lives. They can't move on to deep, digging deep into those things because of a spiritual sluggishness that they have. What does that mean? D.A. Carson says this. He says sluggishness means a thick, lazy hearing of the Word of God. That's why it says dull of hearing. You are dull of hearing. It is a thickness. It is a laziness in hearing and responding to the Word of God. He goes on to say, it is an immaturity, really, in responding, listening, studying of, and conforming to the Word of God. This is basically what it is. You hear the Word of God constantly. Intellectually, you know what it says. But you have a heart bent on ignoring its integration and application. Simply put, you know it, but you will not obey it. You find excuses, rationale, to not obey the Word of God. You theologize your way out of it. Oh yeah, but you, I don't, I don't have, you're getting my point. There's this 
inner laziness, this sluggishness. Ugh, I know what I'm supposed to do, but uh, I'm not interested in doing it. I do that really well, don't I? I think I've been called a slug on numerous occasions in my life, actually. This guy, well, growing up, I was like in seventh grade, I was called Lazy Maisie for a while. I'm crazy Maisie. He's like, Maisie, you're a slug. And I thought, that's not a very nice thing to say. That's basically what he's saying here. From a spiritual perspective, in your relationship to the Word of God, you're a slug. That's why we can't move on. O'Brien says this, it's an unwillingness to work out the deeper implications of the gospel in our lives. Tell me that's not a bullseye in what we're dealing with in American evangelical Christianity. We are simply unwilling. It's not that we don't know it. It's that we're only willing to engage certain aspects of the gospel. Really, we love to hear its promises, but we really struggle with living out the implications of the gospel. It's an unwillingness, a heart bent on disobedience. And so we see that growing in Christ will always be a heart disposition in your relationship to the Word of God. Where are you today in your relationship to the Word of God? New spectrum. Are you receptive and earnest, as we're going to talk about later, in your, man, give me more of the Word of God. Let me understand it. Let me apply it. Even if it means I lose everything. I just, like with Paul, I just want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. I want to, I want to participate in His sufferings. Whatever it takes to know God, I, I want in on that. Is that where you are today in relationship to the Word of God? Or are you on the other end? Oh, well, I know we're supposed to. Oh, okay. Oh, not this week. An unwillingness to work out the deeper implications of the Gospel. He says you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles, right? Bottom line, some of us are stuck in a state where no matter how many years we've been a Christian, we're still learning the ABCs of what it means to know and follow Jesus. We, in terms of time, that is, we've known God, we've been connected to God for, for years upon years, we still are in the seat of learning the ABCs of the faith. Okay, let's be clear. We're all lifelong learners. We're all lifelong learners. Right? And every once in a while, no matter where we are in our maturity, we always need to be reminded of the basics of the gospel. Right? But there's a heart disposition that's immature, that's sluggish, that says, I refuse to move on. I refuse to build upon this foundation. I'm a senior in terms of my age, but when it comes to my development and application of the Word of God, I'm still trying to figure out the ABCs. Spiritually put, and you may laugh at this, but I think it's a perfect illustration. Some of us are literally Billy Madison in our walk with God. Does anybody remember the movie Billy Madison? I haven't seen it. My friends did because I'm a pastor. So I don't watch movies like that. You guys have seen that movie? Man, now we see the issue here. I hear about this movie, Billy Madison, where this guy's literally like 30, right? He's old. And he's got to go back to what? Was it second grade? Some of us 
are still there. We've been a Christian for so long, and we still need someone to teach us the basics, right? You need milk, not solid food. You can't handle it. It's for the mature. And if you look at the state of the American church, right? 71% of Americans, according to Barna, take him for what he's worth. According to Barna, 71% of Americans claim to be Christian. That's 2016. 71%. You know what? 31%, what does it say? Are considered practicing Christians. Wow. There's a gap. 40% gap, right? 23% are Bible-minded. They believe it's accurate in all of its teachings and have read it in the last week. Do you see the gap? Sluggishness is American Christianity. We've heard, we've seen maybe some of the basics of Christianity, but at the end of the day, we don't even read the Word of God. So how are we going to move on? How are we going to press on toward maturity when that's who we are? I wonder if some of us today are living in that suburban kind of, it's nice to go to church Christianity, but at the end of the day, I'm not really excited about or willing to conform to, hungry for God's revelation of Himself in the Bible. I'm fine with the status quo of living out religion and just cultural Christianity. But when you talk about maturing, I'm not really interested in applying the Word of God to that degree. Maybe some of you are struggling with that very thing today. Or maybe it's not a comprehensive issue. Maybe there's a specific sin in your life where you're saying, yeah, I'm with the 71. I claim to be that. But at the end of the day, I'm with the 23 in this particular area of my life. I am admittedly sluggish. Not really interested. That area is off limits to the Word of God. Is that you today? I'm sure we all have an area that we would consider off limits. Not really interested in growing in that area. We're going to leave the Word of God kind of pushed to the side. We're going to make additional excuses. I'm not trying to be harsh here. I'm trying to point out, I think what the author of Hebrews is pointing out, a major obstacle to growth. And this may not be the core factor in why you're stagnant. There are many factors in our lives. But it could it be that dull, uh, being dull of hearing, being sluggish, in relationship to the Word of God, is the core issue that is keeping you looking at the ABCs for decades. You tracking with me? That's what he's getting at here. He said maturity, right? Comes from constant practice. There are many theologians that are immature in the faith because they only know it, but they don't live it. They don't apply it. They don't integrate it. But maturity comes from learning something and living something. Constant practice. And when we practice it, we literally train our discerning mechanism so that we can look at the world, empowered by the Spirit, uh, um, gain, gain our perspective from the Word of God and say, that is good and that is evil. You see what I'm saying? That's a sign of maturity. Not just theology. I know a lot, but life, worship is life. And the Word of God is the, is, the, is the substance that fuels our Christian living and obedience. And is also the very uh, details about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Where are you in relationship to the Word of God today? Sluggish? Or as we see later, earnest? Give me more. I'm all in. Your answer to that question 
uh, is related to why not you, you, why you may feel stuck in relationship with God. You see, sluggishness will uh, a sluggish approach to the Word of God will stunt our growth and will keep us in spiritual infancy. Got to see that spiritual infancy will be stuck there if we are sluggish in relationship with the Word of God. And so, therefore, right? What does it say? Verse one of uh, chapter six. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Is he saying that we should abandon the gospel? What do you think, Christians? Is that what he means? No, that's not what he's saying. If you look in a moment, you'll see language. He'll say this. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. And he goes into some foundational matters. See, what he's saying is, if the ABCs, the doctrine of Christ, the elementary doctrine of Christ, if that foundation has been laid, leave it where it belongs. Don't move it. But let us build upon it. That's what he's saying. Let us go on. Let us leave behind. That is, let us build upon the foundation of the gospel. God has so much in store in terms of your maturation process as you conform to the image of Christ. So standing on the foundation of the gospel, we are called as the people of God to leave it where it is, the foundation, and to begin to build upon that foundation, the elementary doctrine of Christ. That's what he's saying. That's our calling. That is our command. That's the main command of the passage. So Christian, stuck in sluggishness or stagnancy, really every one of you, no matter where you are on the spectrum, this is what it is. Leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Build upon the foundation of the gospel. Move forward in the gospel. Don't miss that. That's the main thrust of this passage. And I love what it says next. And go on to maturity. You cannot miss the verb there. Go on to maturity. It's actually in the passive voice. What that means is this. That you're not doing that. God is. How do I know? Verse 3. At the end of... yeah. And this we will do if God permits. That is, we will build upon the foundation of the gospel and we will be brought along to maturity. And this we will do if God permits. You see, it's not just our decisive repenting of sluggishness, which by the way, we must do. We must repent of our sluggishness, our, our laziness, our thick-headedness, our unwillingness to work out the deeper implications of the gospel. We must repent of that and begin to build upon that foundation. But understand this, the work of maturing us is the work of the sovereign grace of God in your life. And let me tell you, that should make you really happy. That it's not ultimately up to you. Right? But that this is indeed a work of God. Without the sovereignty of God permitting your growth, you will not grow. Let's be clear about that today. It reminds me of Philippians 2, that wonderful verse, right? 
work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are commanded to work out your salvation. This is your doing. Yet, the verse goes on to say, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. Let's build upon the foundation. And may the sovereign grace of God mature us in conformity to the image of Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You're pursuing God, but God is pursuing you. He is not leaving you behind. So even as He commands us to build upon the foundation, He is there every step of the way, empowering the growth that He commands. Isn't that an awesome thing about our God? He's not a distant God that commands us to do something and then tells us to figure it out on our own. He is empowering it. And He is permitting it. Amen? But what if we don't? What if we don't? Verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Spirit, tasted of the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. Verse 7, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. And our comfort level just went down. You know what? This is one of the most hotly debated passages in all of the Bible. Yay! This is the subject of much debate and controversy about this question. Can I lose my salvation? That's where these conversations always go. Right? Because it says it's impossible. It's impossible in this particular case if they've fallen away to restore them again to repentance. It's impossible. And the idea of falling away says there's the possibility of falling away. So, yeah, kind of freaks us out. What does this mean? It puts us back on our heels as believers. And it calls into question the security of our salvation. Let me tell you, this was, I'm sure this happened at all your high schools. But this was the fight often at our lunch table in my senior year of high school. The, 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 the vast spectrum of theological positions and perspectives, sitting there drinking chocolate milk and eating chocolate chip cookies, look at each other because we're completely immature. We think we know everything and we actually know absolutely nothing about anything. Let's just be clear. And you know, like your church is crazy. No, your church is nuts. No, no, no. You guys believe in eternal security. You, no, you guys think you can lose your salvation? That was lunch. And then everyone who believed you could lose your salvation, guess where they went? Let me show you Hebrews chapter 6. 
And then uh, us uh, wiser guys at the table. Oh, I'm not talking about me. Clearly it was somebody else. But that was the debate. That was the fight. And I see that's, in many ways, when you read this, we're, it's easy for us to lose the whole point of what's taking place. But let's be fair. Let's talk about that for a minute. You know, many of you may have been counseled along these lines. I'll never forget when my youth pastor, I had a number of them, so I'm not throwing one of them under the bus. So just a number of them, I had a number of them. One of them looked at me and said, hey, frustrated about the way my relationship with God was at the moment, looked at me and said, hey, I want to tell you something, pal. I was like, Ooh. I want to tell you something, pal. Listen, if, if Jesus returns and you're in the act of sinning, if you're sinful and you are living in unrepentant sin, if he returns in that moment, you're going to hell. And I thought, yikes. Right? How, do we, how did he know? Right? And then I was like, freaked out. And then I thought, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible teaches. Right? But it throws you back on your heels. Right? It calls into question. And it almost, reading this makes us feel unassured about our salvation. What about me? Is this me? If I'm struggling right now with a sin, or if it is my rebellious teenager, is that the case of this? A season of, 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 of sin and struggle, is that what this is, falling away? We begin to think and examine our hearts and say, is this what it means? I don't think that's what it is. I think it's actually quite clear. I think we get a clue here when we see verses 7 through 9. Right? We see this language of falling away, and we see this illustration of land and crops and bearing fruit. I think it would be uh, consistent with what we see in the Gospel of Mark. Right? That there are the Word of God. This is about the Word of God and responding to the word, hearing and responding to the Word of God. Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the seeds and the soil. It's about hearing and responding to the Word of God, right? And in that, Jesus talks about the rocky soils. They immediately receive it with joy. That sounds like becoming a Christian, doesn't it? They hear the Gospel. They receive it with joy. That's becoming a Christian, right? And all this language looks very Christian, doesn't it? So these people are Christians, right? But Jesus goes on to say that, that something happens, right? That, 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 that they have no root, that the seed was there, but the seed took no root, Jesus says. And because there's no root, although they received it with joy, they fall away. Same language. They fall away. So in hearing and responding to the Word of God, there are people that immediately receive it with joy, but then in the end, because there's no root. Because if the Gospel takes root in your heart, the Gospel will bear fruit in your life. And I think really, if you think about the book of Hebrews and the context of what he's talking about here, I think it's very clear that what he's trying to do is warn us about where sluggishness might take you. What it might reveal about your relationship with God. And the lack of perseverance and falling away into apostasy that is a total rejection of Christ and His finished work. That leads you there. 
then I think that's this case. That's this case. It's not the rebellious teenager who's having a tough time trying to figure out who he is in college. But it's that case as shown in Mark chapter 4. I think D.A. Carson, again, not to keep dropping his name, has a helpful summarizing statement. And we got to kind of move along here. He says, this is the case of someone who's been brought close enough to taste something of the transforming power of the gospel, seeing what the gospel truly is, understanding it, believing it, and being in some measure cleaned up by it. And then, because there is no grace of perseverance, because that is not a component of their faith, they look at it square in the face, seeing it for what it is, and say, ah, it's hellish and demonic, I will walk away from it. The core issue is perseverance. Genuine faith will persevere to the end. And that's the purpose of Hebrews, is to call out on people who are thinking about returning back to Judaism, who are thinking about walking away from Jesus, and he's, he's warning them that there are certain cases where sluggishness in response to the Word of God will lead you to fall away. And let me be clear, it is impossible for you to be brought back to repentance if that is your case. I think we just need to let the language sit for what it is and not explain it away. If that's the case, it's impossible. I, I don't really think the case is clear. I don't think we have clarity. You know, you look at this uh, website, leftchristianity.com, and if you really want to be depressed and brokenhearted, watch testimony videos on leftchristianity.com about how people have walked away from the faith. They once were in the faith, and now they are agnostic or atheistic. Talk about depressing. Talk about cr causing you to weep. Is that the case? Is that what Hebrews 6 is talking about? Maybe. I don't think we know exactly. It's not that clear. But what we do know is that um, this is about the, the future of the fruitless field, as John Piper said. That true gospel roots bear gospel fruits in our lives. And that this is a warning inspiring us to persevere toward maturity. That really your sluggishness has eternal consequences. It's no small matter to be sluggish in reference to the hearing and responding of the Word of God. It is no small thing. When you choose Facebook over the Scriptures every day, it is no small thing to be sluggish in relationship to the Word of God. When you always have an excuse about your time in the Word of God, you always say, I can't or I couldn't or something came up. If that happens for season upon season upon season, I don't want to know where that will take you spiritually. It will definitely not show your maturity in the Gospel. And it seems to function here as a warning. But I love how he ends. He says, though we speak in this way, verse 9, yet in your case, beloved, don't miss that designation. So this is not the case for the Hebrews that are reading this. The case that was mentioned about the impossibility of being restored to repentance, this is not the case of the readers of Hebrews. And for those of you who genuinely have faith in Christ, 
and are actually uncomfortable and motivated in this moment, man, I need the Word of God, guess what? That's a sign of the genuineness of your faith. And guess what? He's saying this. He's saying, I'm sure of better things for you. Things that belong to salvation. So really, the intent of this is to warn them and to call them to repentance, but it's to reassure the Christian. You are saved! Those who know and genuinely belong to God, you're saved. Signed, sealed, delivered by Jesus. You're saved. You're the beloved of God. If you're here today and you're being rocked about the assurance of your salvation, you're struggling with a sin, you feel that sluggishness in your heart, and you're, you're like, oh man, is it... you are the beloved of God. That's who you are. You are a child of the Father in heaven. You are the beloved of God. Look what else it says. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for it in serving the saints. You're the saints. You feel anything but holy, but God has made you the holy ones. You're the beloved of God. You're the holy ones of God. You're saved. Rest assured of your salvation. And he says it's our desire that each one of you, every man, woman, and child in this room, it is our desire that each one of you, it is our call upon your life to repent of sluggishness, to, to have the same earnestness. That's the other end of the spectrum. We're not to be sluggish in relationship to the Word of God. We're called to be earnest in the relationship with God. And as we run after the Word of God with earnestness, that becomes the remedy for our sluggishness, right? Be earnest so that you may not be sluggish. So today, as you hear this warning, as you hear these powerful words of assurance, be earnest in your relationship to the Word of God. Doesn't assurance motivate earnestness? To know that you're the beloved of God, that you're the holy one of God because of Christ, right? You see, our assurance is not based on our struggle. Our assurance or lack thereof is not based on our struggle. Our assurance is based upon who God is. Our assurance is based on who God has made us to be. And our assurance is based on what He continues to do in our lives. He is not unjust so as to overlook your love for His name in serving the saints. Not unjust. Isn't that wonderful news? What he's trying to say there, he's trying to encourage the Hebrew. God sees the love that you have for His name. He sees it. I know so many often, I think God only sees my sin. You feel that? When God looks at me, He only sees my sin. He walks into my life and He points out all the discrepancies. That's all He sees. Do you ever feel that? Let's be clear, He sees our sin. But you know what? He sees something that covers it. He knows we're sinful. But He sees the blood and the work of Jesus that has been applied to it as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. 
He will not remember our sins. He will not deal with us according to our sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son. Sees it. And I think about the way that we are called to respond to the Word of God. And I look at this word earnestness. And please bear with me for a minute. I could find no better illustration in my world about what earnestness looks like other than my little boy Silas. Really. He is a picture for me of what we should be like in relationship to God. Silas is all in on things that are important to him. He's all in. He's crazy, actually. I mean, a little bit. And by the way, I did ask for his permission to talk with us. He's like, sure. Sure. He's all in. We constantly, in the midst of loving him and parenting him, and we we sometimes are like, holy crap. I'm just being honest. But oftentimes we pray for him and we pray and we look at him, we watch him, and we say, We are so grateful for this little boy because man, when he's in, he's all in. He's all in. When he's committed to something, he is committed to it. When he starts something, he finishes it. That's just the way Silas is. And I'm not trying to lift him up, but as I was watching his life and looking at this terminology, I was thinking. That's the kind of approach that we should have when we look at God's Word. All in. Let's let's go after this. So, no matter where you are on the spectrum today, in stagnancy or growing in your walk with God, I think it's clear that we have good reason to repent of our sluggishness. Who knows where that will lead us over time? But we have good reason, the love and the justice of God, for us to embrace the Scriptures, to feed upon it. You know that area in your life that you've told God to stay out. You know areas of your life where the Spirit of God has said, Hey Mike, you're willingly Keeping me out. You're saying no. You're unwilling to work out the implications of the gospel in that particular aspect of your life. You know those areas. And today I call, this is a call to stop saying stay out to God. It's a call to stop making excuses. It's a call to fully surrender to God's work of maturing us. You can have me, Lord. Do what you will with me. Sanctify me in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen? So may all of us here hear and respond to the word of God with earnestness. Fully surrender to God's work of maturing us. That's our heart for you. That's God's heart for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give You the honor and praise You deserve. We hear this Word.
And we confess that all too often we have read this passage and gotten caught up into some debate rather than giving you total access to our heart and the word total access and authority to transforming our lives. In many ways, we are our greatest enemy in pursuing the conformity to Christ. We're, we're sluggish. And yet at the same time, Lord, we see this wonderful mystery. And if we were to be honest about our lives, we would see you're at work. It's easy to say half empty, but God, when we see your love and your justice, when we see what Christ has done, and we recognize that the basis of our standing before you is Christ and his love and his grace and his blood. And we see that, man, we are not the men and women we once were. That you have been working in our hearts. When we think about these things, we rest. We exhale. We rest in the peace, the beauty, the wonder of your free gift of salvation. Continue your work in us and enable us to turn from sluggishness and to hear and respond to the Word of God with earnestness. May every man, woman, and child in this room be all in on growing in Jesus Christ.